Welcome to Bill Roden on Sports. Taking you inside clubhouses, locker rooms, and boardrooms. Legendary sports columnist Bill Roden gets inside the heads and beneath the veneer of the men and women who play and own the games we love. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a, uh, yet another scintillating edition of Bill Roden on Sports. I'm here in... Las Vegas, uh, looking at the wonderful mountains and stuff, and uh, talking to uh, my co-host, the great Jamal Murphy. Jamal? How you doing? Still in uh, New York City. It's getting colder and colder by the day. When are you coming back, man? Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the reason I'm out here is, you know, my, as people may or may not have known, my, uh, my mother was on a cruise. She and my father, my late dad, they... Their thing probably for the past 30-something years was cruising. They've cruised around the world uh, a couple times. So my my mother, who's 90 years old, was on a cruise, and she fell, and she broke her hip. Mm-hmm. And, um, in fact, it was just a couple of days before the um, NFC championship game, and she had to go to a, uh, a hospital in Thailand. So she had an operation in Bangkok. And so I had to fly from... Um, uh, the, uh, you know, from North Carolina to Las Vegas and just coordinate her, um, you know, movement from Thailand and all that back to Las Vegas. So I've been here holding forth. And uh, thanks to um, uh, to some really great folks here in uh, Las Vegas, um, uh, Mark and, and Mike, uh, they've been very, very, very cool and uh, very professional and very... Uh, accommodating, so um, I like to give a shout out to them. But yeah, it actually is your your. It's right now seventy degrees <laughs> here in the desert. So and ask your question when I'm coming back. Who knows? The answer is <laughs> who knows. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, how things been there? Pretty good. Pretty good. I was gonna say I hope you I hope you put your money on Denver out out there in Vegas. Well, I I kind of thought they would win after I heard. See, all you guys are talking about Cam and Cam. All of us, really. Cam, Cam, Cam. I'm thinking, I don't know, man. Right. It's looking kind of blue. What did you think? I know you saw the game. I don't think we've talked, right? No, we, have, we haven't yeah. talked after and, since and the Everybody's game. still buzzing about it. You know, I don't know if they're buzzing about the game or about Cam. But what, what's your, what's your sum, sum up the game for me? Well, I mean, the game to me was all about Denver's defense. And obviously, I think we all, or most, a lot of people slept on Denver's D. Not that we didn't think they were good, but just how good that Denver defense was and how good Von Miller is and he basically took over the game and also I think it also you know the Denver defense exposed Carolina you know exposed the faults that we knew they had we knew that they didn't have you know strong wide receivers and it came back to haunt them when when they played the number one defense in the NFL and it's just and it basically just seemed like it was Cam Verse eleven people on Denver's defense, and he really had no shot. Right, um, <laughs> right. you know, and that's, and that's the way it looked from from pretty much the start of the game. And it really, to me, I mean, I guess there are a couple of things that people are talking about. And, and again, you know, you know, Cam, he had a great year. He had a great season. Right. He obviously, he was the MVP of the league. Right. And you know that's what we do in the media. We build you up just so we can tear you down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is that is that a plan? Is that a premeditated plan? Sort of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good to know. 
you're great, you're great, you're great, you're great. Screwed, ah, you're bum. <laughs> right, right. And then we'll build you back up again, you know. Um, but what do you think? There are, there are two pivotal moments. The first, well, he was stripped, and, you know, he hesitated by going after the, 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 the ball, what, what, the fumble. What did you think about that? Yeah, that was, I mean, when, when I, you know, I saw it as it happened, it was weird. You know, I didn't understand, you know, I saw him hesitate. I don't. I didn't know what that was all about. I knew it would be an issue. I mean, they made it an issue right away on the broadcast. Um, his 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 response to it was basically, you know, he felt like he, you know, he might have gotten hurt. His leg was in some kind of position where he thought he might get hurt. It's hard to say. Like a play like that, obviously from from the outside looking in, it, you know, you notice the hesitation, but you have no idea what's in his in his head right. at the time, and everything happened so fast. You know, maybe his leg was in a position where he couldn't physically dive for it, or maybe you know, I, I, there's really no explanation because it's not like we know Cam is a tough player, and he, right. you know, he's taking hits all year. So I can't, I don't see how it just being, oh, I didn't want to get hurt. Uh, you know, who, yeah. you know, who knows? It's just one of those plays. It, I think it's one of those plays that looks worse than it really was. Right, right. Uh, yeah, we caught up with um, James Lofton. We're gonna. Have, we had a really nice interview with uh, you know James Lofton, the former Hall of Fame wide receiver and broadcaster for Westwood One. We caught up with him, and uh, we're going to listen um, to to Lofton. He had a lot of interesting things to say about the game and uh, Newton. But his one of his theories was that um, he thought sometimes in that scrum the ball sometimes might get ricocheted back. Right. And he may have thought that or hoped that the ball might get knocked back. Right. And then it didn't. And then, you know, you see, he's a big guy. Right. And to kind of get that low is just tough. Yeah. And also saw, you know, my initial reaction was, oh, maybe, you know, on the play, one of his teammates looks like he might recover it too at the same time. So maybe he thought, you know, my teammate has it. I don't want to knock it out of my teammate's hands. But like I said, I mean, there's, we can't get in his head. So, I mean, this, we'll never know, <laughs> really. Or he may have just thought, the hell if I'm going in there. <laughs> exactly. Or it could be the worst of all of our thoughts that, you know, maybe he just didn't want to get in the scrum. Yeah, because why? I mean, I've taken up hits. And then I guess, you know, the second moment, Jamal, was, you know, the game's over. Clearly he's disappointed, loses. And then he's got what's now become sort of the legendary press conference where he makes it clear he doesn't really want to be bothered. What were your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, obviously. Put your media hat on now. Somebody <laughs> is there and wants to get something. Right. I mean, I, I, it's hard. It's hard for me because I just don't care. I just don't, I, you know, the, the press conference thing, you know, I, don't, I never care about how someone handles a press conference unless it's completely an embarrassment and, and they say some things that offend a bunch of people. But in terms of walking out or, you know, making some kind of scene, I never really, it, you know, never bothers me. If anything, I, I look at it as entertainment. You know, I used, right. to, love, right. I used to love when Bob Knight, had press conferences and just went off. You know, it was one of my, you know, I loved watching that kind of stuff. So I, I always look at it as entertainment. You know, it could have been worse. He could have, he could have said some things that offended people. He, he walked off. And really, I, I, part of me thinks that the press, people asking questions need to step their question game up because some of the questions that he was getting asked there were just so asinine to me. I'm like, you know, come up with, come up with some better questions. And for and force him to think and and come up with an answer. I, obviously, he's getting heat. I think the heat is overblown. Of course, he. I I think I would hope that I would handle it a little better. But 
you know, who knows? I'm, I wasn't in that position. So it's tough for me to to pile on him as far as that goes. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, I think Lofton also talked about that. I mean, you know, some stuff he did in the heat of the moment. And, again, very few of us, I mean, because we're on this side of the mic, and very few people, just a very small percent of people, have ever played professional sports at that level. Right. And it's a very emotional time. and It's one of the most important games of his career. And you're like, you know, 30 minutes removed from it. And, you know, 30 minutes. And, and one of the most disappointing moments of your life. And you got to come back and you have people just asking, really? I mean, that's what we're paid for. That's, you know, question. Most of which will be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, some are better than others. And I feel, I feel like the ones he got right after the game, I mean... No, nah, nah, you know, I, I didn't, you know, if it were me, I feel like I might have walked out. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, what are you supposed to ask? I mean, the obvious. I mean, it, again, to the extent that the media is sort of the emissary of fans, how do you feel? Feel terrible. What do you think about I mean, you know, now and then somebody might have asked a game where you really had to think, what adjustments did they make, Cam? Right. You know, did, I know you prepared for this. Uh, were there some, was there some things you didn't see or, or was there execution just – is that something you really couldn't see on tape? You know, could you not see the speed? Of the, you know, I mean, but, but again, at that moment, almost anything you ask is wrong. Right. Yeah, you're right. It's definitely from the player's perspective. Anything you ask is probably going to piss them off. Right. Shit, right. I mean, you know, but it's, listen, you got to be here. I got to be. It's like, uh, yeah, I think we talked about this during the U.S. Open when um, they brought Serena in after a loss or or something, and, you know, she was late, and it was late, and we were all late, and then she said, you know, one guy, one reporter said, it was late at night, it was a late session, he said, you know, Serena, you don't look happy or something, she said, listen, I don't want to be here, it's late, I got to get up early, and I wanted to say, you know, Serena, listen, we don't want to be here either. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But, yeah, but uh, that's part of our job is record these moments. Right, no, yeah, and I I understand that, and you know it's just a situation where he, you know, he's also a rebel, right? He, I think he views himself as, you know, he he rebels against, you know, the status quo or the norm. You know, he had the he had the sweatshirt and the hood on. You know, right. a lot like Belichick. You know, and people have made that comparison. You know, uh, Bill Belichick, he's not the greatest with the media, blah blah blah. But he's and, won. He's won. And he, but yeah, he, he has some titles. Yeah, he <laughs> he has I mean, some titles. You, I guess you, yeah. I guess if he has he has to win you have to win some titles to get the benefit yeah, of the when doubt. You start reeling off titles, you could do anything. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and the same thing. I mean, when you're winning, you know, you know, you could you could dance and throw, but you could do anything. Right. And when you're winning. Right. When you don't win, you you take a little more heat. But I think you you sort of make this pack with the devil. That I said, listen. I'm going to be a showman. I'm going to be an entertainer, you know, and and there are going to be people who like it, people who don't, but this is what I do. Right. And you just have to understand in advance that, you know, the way, again, you know, everybody loves a winner, but <laughs> everybody loves a winner. When you lose, you lose alone. So um, I thought all things in balance, man. I think that uh, it was just, you know, a great learning experience. It was a tremendously disappointing uh, moment for him, I know, and he didn't play terribly. I mean, people right. try to act like he had an awful game. He didn't. I mean, he didn't play awful. No, he, he play, played okay. He didn't. Obviously, he didn't have a one of his better games by far. He didn't probably didn't have a good game, but he played okay. 
I mean, it was a team. The team lost. Okay, I mean, team. they had they had about six uh, false starts. Yeah. And guess and guess why they had those false starts? Right, because of that Denver defense. Oh man! Right. I mean, we talk about how he played. Denver defense played spectacular. I mean, they. I mean, they were laying the wood, as they say, and just like they did against New England, they were hit. They were out there hitting hard. One of the first things that I, you know, that I recognized in the game is Cam. One of his first scrambles. I think he scrambled for a first down, but he slid, and you never see Cam slide. <laughs> and it was, and so it was almost like, yo, he knew that these guys were out here hitting, and you know, they were they were injuring guys. Uh, Stewart got injured early. I think Fozzie Whitaker got injured in the second half. I mean, they were out there hitting. They were laying leather. Remember the one uh, in the end zone? Where yeah. he, he, I think he got it away, but the guy, I forget, laid him out. Right, right. And he got up kind of like, you know, he wanted to flag. <laughs> right, right. They were, I mean, they were, and then Von Miller got him, stripped him, you know. And so you know, mm. you know they were talking trash. They had to be talking trash. Oh, of course. Of course. But, I mean, they, they've been doing that with him all season. You know, every time he, they sack him, they do his they – they, they flip it and do his dance on him. So he's been going through that all season, and he, know, he knew that was coming. Yeah. So, and you're right. So you kind of bring some of this stuff on yourself. Yeah, and then, you know, but that's – you know, that's why people – that's why we're still talking about it, you know, four or five days later. Right. And, and we'll probably see how we actually do this summer. How do you – what are you going forward – Going forward, what do you what do you think he what he, does he ever live this down or does he just have to create a moment a great moment that's even larger than a disappointing moment? Yeah, I think he can he can live it down, but he has to he has to get back to this point and win, and at least at least once and maybe even maybe even more. But I think he'll he'll that's all it takes. You have to get you have to get over the hump. You have to get back to the Super Bowl and conquer. All your demons and and con- you know get a Super Bowl victory under your belt, similar to what LeBron James. I've seen, I've heard a lot of people bring that up. LeBron's first trip to the or not first trip to the finals, but his first trip to the finals with the Heat against against the Mavs. He was kind of humbled, came back, you know, one two straight changes everything. People look at you completely different. So I think that that's what Cam has to do. I think it's a little tougher in football. I mean, a lot of things have to go your way. Uh, it's tougher to, for the team to stay healthy, so I don't think it's a given that he that he's going to be able to do that. But in order to, you know, change or you know have a positive legacy, he's going to have to get back to the Super Bowl and win it. No question about it. Yeah, and I mean, you look at the Seattle Seahawks, and you know, you know, they're at the one one foot line, and they may never get that close again. Right, and you we know, and, and because you people, oh well, they're a young team, but you know, now Beast Mode retires. And, right. I think sometimes with each successive year, the shore seems further and further away. So you never, you know, you, you, like you said, you can't really count on that. And hopefully they'll get back. But shucks, man, you you know you know how tough this was just to get to this point. Right, and we've seen this before with great quarterbacks. Remember Dan Marino, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. He got to the Super Bowl in his in his I think second year, and people just assumed he'd be back, and he he never even got close. So we've seen we've seen this before. You know what I find interesting is that they're about to make Andrew Luck. The, the Colts are about to drop trillions of dollars on him, and I'm thinking, I mean, I guess you know you have to do what's best for your franchise. But you know, I said, wow, if Andrew Luck is worth a billion. How much is Cam Newton worth? <laughs> you know, a billion and one. But I guess 
you know, um, I, you know, I, I you know that's another conversation. But to me, Cam Newton is just still so head and shoulders above everybody else in the league that whatever they're paying him is not enough. Right. And, you know, he'll get his chance to prove it next year. He should. I, you know, and like I said, they got – I feel like Carolina got exposed. We said during – people were disappointed at the beginning of the season that they hadn't they didn't give Cam the weapons that everyone thought he needed, you know, him being a, an, an elite quarterback. And he got him this far without having that, you know, any kind of elite wide receiver. And it got to the point where it came back to haunt them, that they that they didn't provide the help that he needed. So hopefully they learn from, you know, the organization learns from this also. God forbid somebody gets hurt, you have to replace, you have to replace them. Cam is not, is not going to be able to do it alone. Uh, they, eventually they're going to run into a good defense. Denver's great, and, and their defensive secondary was, was just tremendous. I mean, if you look at the, the, the pressure they were putting on him and the coverage, I mean, it was really, I'm sure it had to get suffered. I mean, it had to get very frustrating after a while. So anyway, great, great stuff. Great stuff, Jamal. And let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk with the great Hall of Fame wide receiver and broadcaster James Lofton about Cam Newton, the Super Bowl, violence, life in the NFL, and beyond. When we come back with Bill Roden on sports. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Taking you inside the games we love. This is Bill Roden on Sports. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to another another edition of Bill Roden on Sports. Uh, I'm really delighted to... Um, have a, just a great guy, uh, just a tremendous person, uh, someone who I've, um, I, I've I followed just by being a sports writer for a long time, uh, but also somebody I sort of got to know during our conversations in press boxes across the country and really so happy to have uh, James Lofton as uh, as my guest. Uh, well, great to be joining you, uh, Bill. And uh, it, it has been fun, the transition from – Athlete to uh, press box lunch eater. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's been right. a lot of fun, actually. Sniffing. That's right. We are, we always meet around the food. <laughs> we really do. And I, I was telling one of my friends that it's so funny. You walk into a press box and you immediately get hungry. Right. It it just happens in that way. Right, right, right. Let me just get everybody your pedigree. I'm sure most people know, and it depends on which generation. You know, it's so funny that a younger generation knows you sort of as a broadcaster, uh, right. play-by-play voice, and not play-by-color voice of Westwood One, uh, and they know you as for your great uh, uh, skills as an analyst. But for those over a certain age, know that you were, a, um, you were an All-American uh, player, at uh, a wide receiver at uh, Stanford, that you, um, you played for the, uh, a, a lot of teams, but uh, what you were you're really known for as, as the great years you spent with the Green Bay Packers. Uh, you played for the Packers from 78 to 86, but you also played for the Los Angeles Raiders. I want to ask you what you think of uh, the Raiders, well, L.A. getting the team. Uh, but you also played for the Buffalo Bills. Ah, then you played for the Los Angeles Rams. You played for the Eagles. Uh, and what a lot of people do not know, 
is that you were a, uh, the, the, uh, an NCAA long jump champion while you were at Stanford. And, of course, you were uh, a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, you've lived a very, very, you had a very, very rich career as, a, as an athlete uh, and now as a broadcaster. And, and maybe before we get into the Super Bowl and that kind of stuff, I'm always amazed, man, and I'm sure you are too, when you, there, there are certain people who, who make the transition uh, after their athletic lives are over. Many, many, many don't. And, and number one, you survived a bunch of years in the NFL. Uh, and, 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 and now you're just a really, really great uh, analyst. I, I really enjoy well, hearing you. your – I really do. But how did you make that transition? Uh, is this something that you, um, you started thinking about when you were at Stanford or, or was like there an injury – or was there did one day did you get cut by a team and you start thinking about life after? Well, I'm going to answer your question, but but I got to throw in this one that and it always kind of catches me a little bit off guard. I got a chance to coach in the NFL for I think seven years, uh, six years with the Chargers, one year with the Raiders, and it's always interesting. Uh, and it happened when we were on the field at the Super Bowl before the game, and you know I'm down there talking to different people and. I heard somebody say, Coach, Coach. And, and I didn't turn around right away. And it was Akbar Bajia Miller, the, the kid who's now the host of um, Ninja Warriors. Well, he was, he was on the Chargers for a little while, and I was a coach there. So there's this small segment of NFL players who are kind of still playing, who have finished playing, who call me Coach. <laughs> and, and it's all, you know, I, I had a great time coaching. It was a part of my, you know, NFL career that I look at that started in 1978 and, and continues on now. But but it's so funny because I used to respond to that right away. But it's you know, it's fewer people call you that every day. When somebody does call you, you don't know if they're talking to you, somebody else around you, or whatever. <laughs> but to, to answer your question, as far as planning, um, in 1989, I guess I had played. I'd been in the league 11 years. And I'm playing for the Los Angeles Raiders. And I went through a program with, with Merrill Lynch to get my securities license. And it was the first year of this program. I was in the downtown Los Angeles office. Uh, had to be in the office every day at 5.30 a.m. And so it was a really unique experience. Hmm. And um, so I got my securities license. And I was thinking, well, you know, my career is just about over. Get set to retire maybe next year. And then I went on to play what, four or five more years after that. So I, I kind of lost that. But in the interim, prior to that Merrill Lynch thing, I had, I, had a, I had had a television show in Green Bay. And then later on in my career, I had a television show in Buffalo. But the broadcast business is nothing, nothing like it is today. Mm. Uh, I was joking with uh, Ike Taylor and Maurice Jones-Drew mm -hmm. because – Whatever they're doing, I, I, and I don't know if they're NFL Network or ESPN, and you know somebody's going to be upset because I don't know which one they're on, but when you're flipping the channels, you just see guys. Right, right. right. And they have on their cool, casual clothes. Right. And, and they're on the Super Bowl doing a little stand-up with another guy who's their uh, host, and they're, they're dressed in jeans and T-shirt, you know, you know, something that our kids would wear. And I, and I went over to them afterwards, and I said, you know, if I were doing this, I'd have on those old band pants that were, you know, right below my armpits, and I'd have my shirt tucked in and, you know, you know, looking casual. I'm thinking I'm looking casual. 
But here they get to do a program where it's it's youth oriented, mm. and so there are so many segments, so many uh, internet outlets, so many avenues for these kids to go into. Now I know that the NFL hosts a broadcast boot camp mm. where they can learn the ins and outs of the business. So uh, the, the venues are, are fantastic that the guys can pursue now. Uh, when I retired after the '93 season, I went to work for CNN. Mm. And we did a show called NFL Preview. And at the time, ESPN, CBS, and NBC had football. And they all did, believe it or not, 30-minute pregame shows. Mm. Now, we look at pregame shows now, and I think the NFL Network did one that lasted about 36 hours before the Super Bowl. Mm. But they are so long, and they need so many people. So uh, there are jobs available. There are jobs available like I said, the internet and the radio, and even a few guys still actually write. <laughs> I know. I never imagine that. That's a lost art. I know it yeah. is. Let, let me ask you this, man. I, w- I want to uh, eventually get into just sort of how you got here, how you got from uh, uh, you were born in, in California. Right. Uh, not the whole state, but you, but you, uh, you, you were actually born um, – was it, was it, was I was in northern Fort, Fort Ord, California. Is Fort that? Ord, California was, is up near Monterey, near Pebble. I, I hate to say Pebble Beach because when you're living on an Army base, you, you know nothing about Pebble Beach. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. But well, before we get into that, people are still, there's still this buzz about the Super Bowl. Sure. Uh, and normally there, it, there is not. I mean, a lot of times it's, it's just over. Um, but but uh, you were there. You saw it. Let me give me your 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 general take on the game itself and then of course why people are buzzing is about Cam Newton but but uh what what what's your take uh on the game itself was it uh, uh was it surprising for you or did did you predict that uh when i coached with the San Diego Chargers Wade Phillips was on our staff he was mm-hmm. our defensive coordinator mm-hmm. he was one of the best people to be around in coaching mm-hmm. He just had a way with with a short number of words. Um, he he had a personality that he was upbeat. He he never got down on a player in front of that player. Mm. He found ways to try and elevate him. And so as I'm watching his defense, and let, let's remember he was out of football a year ago. I know. You know he was he's sitting on his rock porch in the rocking chair, and he came to Denver when Gary Kubiak took that job. And he had worked with Gary Kubiak in Houston, and and we all think of J.J. Watt as this you know great player, but he really developed J.J. Watt, mm-hmm. and and turned him into the player that he is now. And when I was with the San Diego Chargers, he did the same thing with Sean Merriman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Merriman got injured, and and that kind of uh, you know derailed his career a little bit. But he just has a way of elevating players. And when you look at Vaughn Miller, Vaughn Miller's been good since he came into the league. Right but never as good as he was this year. Right. And in particular, he was able to elevate himself at the big moments. It's, it's one thing to get the sacks against the team that's 3-10. and 10. But when you look at what they were able to do, and Von Miller in particular, the way he was able to pressure um, Tom Brady, mm-hmm. and then the way that he was able to get after Cam Newton. Because, number one, everybody said, and it was so funny, and I asked uh, – Vaughn Miller about this after the game, because 
everybody said, well, Brady gets rid of the ball in two seconds. Vaughn Miller's reply was, I only need one second. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just thought that was great because everybody's talking about how hard it is to sack him. But you have to have the mentality that you can get it done. Mm-hmm. And then the next week or the next game, you're playing against six foot five inch, two hundred and fifty five pound Superman. Mm-hmm. And and nobody Self self described Superman. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? I, I even look at him as a Superman. I, I think if he never wore that uh T shirt with the S on it before games, I would still look at him as Superman. <laughs> right. Because you look at him and he is just physically superior. Right. And there are guys who, at each position, have physical gifts that other people don't have, even right. at this level. You, yep. you look at Rob Gronkowski, mm-hmm. you take Adrian Peterson, yep. and you can kind of go down the line. You, you, you can select one or two offensive linemen. I remember Larry Allen, who mm. played for the Dallas yep. Cowboys, yep. had those type of gifts. Um, so, you know, those players are, are – I remember Marty Schottenheimer, when I was coaching with the San Diego Chargers, he said they're rare. Mm. And that that's so correct because we look for all these superlatives to try and describe these guys. He just said this guy is rare, and I, and I think that's a nice way to put it. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, were you surprised? I mean, we we uh, again, were you surprised by the result going in? Did you? Um, I, I was telling somebody it may have been it may have been uh, Jamal, my co-host, but but everybody was talking about Carolina, Carolina, Carolina. Right. I've been in the business for so long that after a while you almost start getting. A, it, it, you, you just start getting this funny feeling when 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 the weight swings so heavily somewhere. And I think you and I, I know you've seen Carolina a lot, but were you surprised by the result? Well, they had, they had scored 80 points in the previous two games. So so their offense had been clicking, their defense had been clicking, they had taken the ball away uh, eight times or nine times in the two playoff games. But just at one little football point, the Denver Broncos lined up in essentially what was a five-man front in their 3-4 defense. So five guys on the line of scrimmage. The two outside defensive uh, linebackers, DeMarcus Ware and Vaughn Miller, when Carolina would run their little read option where they would put the ball in the, in the belly of uh, Jonathan Stewart and he would start into the line of scrimmage and Cam Newton would have it there and then he'd look to read the uh, linebackers to see if they were going to crash down and help make the tackle on the running back as he's doing this inside run. Mm-hmm. Well, they would take two steps up the field, both DeMarcus Ware and Vaughn Miller, and kind of just stop. They wouldn't commit to going inside. So this now tells um, Cam Newton, well, we've got numbers, because we've got five guys blocking these three defensive linemen, the nose tackle and the two defensive ends. They couldn't block them. Mm-hmm. And that's where the game started and ended. At, at halftime, I remember talking to Ron Rivera. He said, we have to do a better job on our first and second down runs. And then I tagged onto that when I was doing my report. And, and it's so obvious that Ron Rivera sees the game just like all the rest of us have seen it. Jonathan Stewart in the first half had six carries for seven yards, mm. a long run of two yards. So he was being totally shut out, which now – and, and, and because they, they weren't committing that extra guy to crash down, Cam Newton, I, I heard a couple of announcers say, well, he should run outside. No, he can't run outside because that defensive end is just standing there waiting for him. Mm-hmm. And inside, the three defensive linemen, Derek Wolf, um, uh, and I'm drawing a blank on 97's name and number 92, but they just shut down Carolina's offensive run. And, yes, Vaughn Miller got the MVP because of the sacks, 
But you could have, if you were, if it was a regular season game, you would have given a game ball to the whole defensive front. Exactly. That that, that and that's that's what I was thinking. By the way, how come Vaughn Miller didn't go to Disney Disneyland Disney World? Maybe that's off the table. And, uh, and I mean, I'm like because you know <laughs> Disneyland is owned by ESPN and ABC. Yeah. But the game is on CBS. So maybe that doesn't float anymore, you know, because everybody wants their their own quote branding. <laughs> I guess, man, I, uh, that's that may be another mother podcast for another day. I'm yep. like, wait a minute, I thought the MVP went to Disneyland. You know? <laughs> uh, but but so so of course, you know, Cam has his game, and you know, just as a, I I enjoy seeing defense. I, I just really yes. see enjoy seeing great defense. But then, of course, the moment that everybody is sort of talking about. The game is a game, and again, man, you know, you've been you, you played for the Packers, the Raiders, the Bills, the Rams, the Eagles. I'm sure you had days, that, and then you were a coach with the Chargers and the Raiders. So you've had days. You've had great days. You have awful days, and, and you were a star in the league for you know for, for many of those years. So you had days when you know when you wanted to talk to the media, and then you had days when you didn't. Um, what was your analysis of of, of uh, a how Cam played, and B, how Cam reacted post-game. I had a chance uh, this past training camp to talk to the Raiders about how to uh, deal with the media. Mm -hmm. And I I relayed a story from early in my career where I didn't respond so well Mm -hmm. at the end of a game. And and I had made a gesture during the game that lasted, oh, maybe two seconds. Mm -hmm. And my middle finger flew up. <laughs> it just flew up. <laughs> it just flew up on its own. What's, and, what, what's and, wrong with that finger, finger? Yeah, it has a mind of its own. <laughs> and, and, and after the game, I was asked about the fans booing us, mm-hmm. and we were playing a home game. And I said, I said, it's hard enough out there without these particular people, and I didn't use those words, <laughs> booing us. <laughs> that accompanied with, the, the, with, the flat, with my finger flying up, was what happened to me. And so I, I tried to relay it to today's athlete mm-hmm. in, in the Twitter world, in the instantaneous world of, of sports reporting, that you've got to be able to press pause mm-hmm. in between how you feel because the, the, you are so emotionally charged when you're on the field. Mm-hmm. The highs and the lows. Uh, Akeem Tlaib, after the game, went to jump on the set where uh, the guys were doing their broadcast for NFL Network and slipped mm. and, and caught his balance. But mm. but you're just so excited because <laughs> you won the Super Bowl and all that. Right. So if you can imagine that high with the confetti and, and everything that you've dreamed about as a kid and then to take it to the other level mm. and lose that game mm. and not only to lose it but to be – the, the quarterback of the losing team. Mm. And the night before, your your father, your mother, and your two brothers accept your award at the NFL Honors Banquet. Mm. I, I think that banquet should be the week before. Yeah, I right, think it should right. be Saturday before the Pro Bowl. Mm. And and just have it then and you televise it. Then. But I don't want to be named – well, I would have wanted to be named. <laughs> yeah, yeah, any but, day. But, but, but <laughs> I don't want to be game. named <laughs> the, night before the night before the Super Bowl. Right. It's hard enough to sleep, you know, Thursday on at the Super Bowl. And then to be the MVP, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's just a tremendous weight. So you're carrying all that in. You, you've got this, I won't say million-dollar smile, let's say $100 million smile. Mm-hmm. You've got personality. You are hip. You are Mr. Pop Culture. You, you, are, you are what 
Madison Avenue once and then to lose. Mm. So how do you go about doing something that you rarely do? Now, his first couple of years, they didn't win a lot of games. And he he sulked in those games. And Ron Rivera kind of worked him out of those games. Well, in the last couple of seasons, they were 12 and four two years ago, seven, eight and one last year. They were three, eight and one during the year. And then it got a five game winning streak. So over the last, 24, 25 games, we're talking about a team that's 23-2. and two. Hmm. So we, we hadn't had a lot of opportunities to lose. And we hadn't had a lot of opportunities to be gracious and humble in defeat. Hmm. Um, right. You know, here locally, I live in San Diego, and they were comparing him to Phillip Rivers. Well, the Chargers had a lot of opportunities for those humble <laughs> press right. conferences. They were 4-12 right. last year. So, <laughs> right. so you kind of learn that. Mm. As competitive as you are on the field, there has to be a, a button that you're able to flip. Mm. We watch boxers go at it in the ring, yeah. and we are always amazed when they hug each other at the end of 12 rounds and when they have something nice to say about well, the other yeah, that, boxer. That, 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 that means it. But, you know, that's a, it's, it's funny that you – not funny, but I, I, I think that's great, too. Whenever I watch a boxing match, and there is nothing more to me noble, there is no, more, there is no sport that's uh, as, as taxing and as noble as boxing. You know, I'm not a big MMA fan. In fact, I don't like it. But you're right. Yeah, that's a, that shows you our age. Our age. <laughs> and, well, taste, too. That, again, that's another show. <laughs> well, it, you, you, but with, with MMA, it, it's an acquired taste, mm. and, and we don't always understand – if the fights are equally paired. Now, my oldest son loves MMA. Okay. He can he can tell you 10 deep in the different weight categories. And so once you get to that level, it's more than just watching that bout. You you know if guys are, you know, capable of beating each other, you know if this guy has a good left hook, this guy has a good kick or or whatever they do. Right. So you know more about it. And for us, we don't know much about it. Right. Well, I'm just looking for the Ali of anything. But, yeah. but, I, I don't, I, but, but you know, so to get back to your point, though, I mean, the idea that in a sport like boxing where there's a nobility at the very end, you know, you tap gloves, and at the very end of it, you know, you hug and all that. So, and it, so it gets back to the Cam Newton thing. And, and again, I've been in, I've been in you, know, you know, hundreds, maybe even thousands, of losing locker rooms. I always right. find the losing locker rooms, and I don't know how you feel about it, I always find the losing locker rooms much more compelling than the winning locker rooms because, you know, sure. the winning locker room, just by definition, you're on a high. Yeah. And there's no soul-searching at all, <laughs> you know. Uh, so so having said that, uh, you know, um, was was Cam, did you, did you, as a former player, now as a broadcaster, did you sort of take him off the hook or did you basically say, listen, you know, you can't have it both ways, and this is a learning lesson. You just can't do this anymore. Or does does he really owe the media? Does he know owe the media anything more than what he gave them? You know, I, and it's funny. Football players um, really are into game tape mm-hmm. and 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 evaluating and watching. And 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 when the game is still fresh, and you don't really know what happened. Mm. All he knows is that I was getting hit, right. and they were knocking the ball out of my hand before I was ready to throw. Mm. And when I did throw, we had a couple big plays, but we had a couple plays that we missed on. Mm. So he gave his honest evaluation. 
didn't protect real well, dropped a couple of passes. We didn't play like we normally play. Mm-hmm. Now, how eloquent was he when he said those things? On a scale of 1 to 10, a little bit below 1. <laughs> <laughs> and, right. but, but, and I don't know if, 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 if he needs for us to excuse him because – Obviously, he, he doesn't feel like it because it's still hurting. Exactly. I mean, you're, you're talking about 20, you know, like 45 minutes, not even that long. Yeah, and it, but that hurt, well, I, I don't know when it, it goes away. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still disappointed that when Scott Norwood tried that kick in Super Bowl 25, that he didn't draw the ball back in. Mm-hmm. Like we see so many kicks that, you know, like a, a golfer, a ball goes from right to left. Mm-hmm. His ball just stayed dead straight. Now, I golf, and, and I tend to fade the ball a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I will you know, normally aim down the left side of the fairway. Sometimes I'm off the left side of the fairway, and my ball goes dead straight into the parking lot. Right. Um, so for Cam Newton, I don't know when he's, he's going to get over this. And I don't know if, it, if, if he's making it harder on himself to get mm. over it. But mm. uh, trust me, uh, OTAs and minicamp are going to roll around, and he's going to need to be the fun Cam Newton that he was before. And, and that's a good question. I mean, I mean you're you talking about moments you can't take back. I mean, it's not like, you know, we go to a Broadway play, we see Othello, and you may hit a, a line wrong, but, you know, the next day you come back and you hit the line right. Yes. Yeah, you know, and that's what we love about sports is that there's no do-overs like that. No, I mean last, you know, how, 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 what do you think Russell Wilson would give to have that pass back from last Super Bowl? Yep, and, and Russell Wilson is able to compartmentalize mm-hmm. uh, what he's doing. Not that he's more robotic, but when you listen to his story, he said that you know when he was growing up with his dad, he used to have. You know, like fake press conferences mm. on how to deal, and and he is, uh, you know, he, he may not give us a lot in front of the microphone, mm. but he's polished. Oh yeah, and and Cam Newton at his best is very polished. Yeah. At his worst, we we expected more. You know, we expected we expected more from his moments in the Super Bowl. You know, in the second quarter, I think when he scrambled out of the pocket a couple of times mm-hmm. and, and, and right. ran the ball and then had a, a long completion, mm-hmm. that's what we expected the whole game. Mm-hmm. But Denver's defense said no. Exactly. They, 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 they you know, exactly. there's another team out there, too. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I think that you've mentioned a few things here uh, that I just think people who have never played or, or certainly never played at – the professional level. I mean, I think sometimes in the media, those of you know, you you just it's like cartoon violence. You know, you watch Road Runner, and yeah. one frame he gets hit by a safe, and then okay, you know, next frame he's <laughs> running around again. It's like well, that's not real life. I mean, like you know, remember like remember Elmer Fudd, the, the shotgun will blow up in his face, oh, yeah. and then the next, you know, wonk wonk wonk. Well, it was not like that. I mean, you know, and so you're right. There there are these real hits. There are these real disappointments. Um, and, and for two hours, you know, whether it's the NFL, which I think is probably the most grueling thing, or, or, or you, know, you know, when you look at Ali and Frazier, when you look at Thrill in Manila, you know, and you just, I mean, if anybody has ever stayed in a ring for just three minutes, you know, would you do aerobics? Right, sure. Just, oh, just, yeah. just do three How minutes with nobody coming after you. 
or even just to hit the heavy bag. Yeah, just now, three, three minutes. <laughs> I, I, I will tell you this. My my wife was at the game, mm-hmm. and we've been married for 35 years, so she's had oh, to God watch a lot of sports, and, and she enjoys it. Mm-hmm. She asked me after the game, when Cam Newton got hit in the second quarter, he didn't seem the same the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I haven't rewatched the game, mm-hmm. but I remember that happening, and, and I didn't want to – feed into it because I'm reporting from the Carolina sideline and he never got any treatment or anything like that. But if you go from a hundred percent to 94% mm. because you've been twisted up or bent or something, mm. it's different. Mm. And, and there, I remember the place she was talking about, she said, because he rolled out to the right, he got hit and then he took forever right. to walk back to the huddle That's right. because he's kind of, he's adjusting his body. And as you adjust your body, you're also looking at your limitations that you're going to have going forward. So here's somebody who's sitting way on the other end of the field in row seven, kind of down low, but but she's seen enough football. Beverly has. Mm-hmm. I get a dollar for saying her name. She'll, give me, <laughs> she'll up my allowance. But she is she's just so perceptive on watching somebody that she wants to watch because she had to watch me. And so when I played – after a game, it would be so funny. We'd be we'd be driving home after game, and she'd go, oh, uh, well, you had a good game. That ball in the third quarter, did that guy tip it? <laughs> <laughs> Do I need this? <laughs> not, 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 why did you drop it? Right. But, you know, just, you know, in, in such a loving way. And in that same way, you know, she's watching Cam Newton, and she's she's looking at our boys mm. who are now thirty two and twenty nine oh, and, and wow. remembering when they played. So she's mm. almost watching him from that standpoint. Mm. And you know, you were you were hoping that he'd play well. And I don't know if she was more interested in the Panthers winning as opposed to the Broncos, but she knew I had been working the Panthers sideline all week long. So I would come back from interviews with these guys and talk about them, and you know, we chat over dinner or whatever. Mm. So you start to buy into a team, and you were talking about. You know, everybody talking about Carolina. Well, here I am interviewing all these guys all week long. That's right. And you really do start to think. But uh, the guys on the other side, boy, they were they, they were great defensively in this yeah. ball game. Right. Let me ask you There's a couple more things before we move on. Uh, the, the other play everybody was talking about was you know the fumble where Cam was yes. stripped and he hesitated. For, just looking at it in real time, I looked at it. It seems like he may have hesitated and thought that maybe the play was going to be blown dead or that it was a forward pass and he hesitated for a split second. And then I was thinking maybe the second thought is, do I want to end up in a nursing home for the rest of my life? What was your, what were your thoughts on that particular play? Cause he's, he's gotten heat about that too. Yeah, he, he did hesitate. I think he was hoping that the ball would somehow get kicked back to him mm-hmm. because there were a sea of bodies on that ball. Right. Sometimes that will squirt back in your direction. Right. So for that, you know, half of a 10th of a second, he was thinking, this, maybe this is going to come back in my direction. And when it didn't, mm-hmm. you know, he was kind of stuck there. Right. And you got to remember, he's 6'5". Right. Guys who go to the ground real well for balls, 6 feet, 6'1". Six right. Right. I know I'm tall and long, and anything below my knees when I tried to catch it, it was, it was a big effort. Mm. So, you know, I, I can excuse that. Because the other thing that, that I'm very aware of is you have to see the play with field eyes. And by that I mean see it through Cam Newton's eyes, mm. not through the sideline or the high-angle lens of television, because that's not what he's seeing. He's not seeing 
those other bodies around him, he's seeing the ball, he's seeing a couple of arms, a helmet, all of that, and thinking they're all grasping at it. Maybe it's going to bounce back towards me. Right. Um, I always laugh about an offensive lineman when he's in his stance. And I used to, when I first started broadcasting, I, you know, I was more interested in, in what they saw. So I asked a, a left guard, I said, when you have your hand down, what do you see? He said, well, I see the, the feet and knees of the linebackers as they're moving around. So I have to learn by not the number that the guy has on, but maybe the way he wears his socks or the shoes, if it's number 53 as opposed to number 54, which guy's coming down in the gap. And I, I just thought that was fascinating because he's got a big defensive tackle right over the top of him who he's eyeing. And looking through this guy's body, he sees from the knees down the linebackers. And I just thought that's fascinating. So don't forget what the players are seeing. Right. And as I'm doing games, that's what I'm trying to relay to people who are driving in their car and listening. What what the guys see with, with field eyes, not what we saw from the press box or what we saw from you know the high definition super slow motion, which I think is is great, but it's also hard on the officials. <laughs> you can't get you can't get anything right. That's right. You know, it, it, it always takes me back to uh, Robin Williams, and I think it's Mrs. Doubtfire. Right. And they say, how far do you need to back up the camera? And the guy goes, Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, with high definition, we see everything. And with super slow motion, those officials don't get to see that. And, and they also see it with field eyes. Yeah. So they're down on the field peering between these huge bodies trying to see – did that ball move a little bit when it hit the ground? They, they can't see that. So, you know, and I, I tell people, if you really want to be sobered up, and we've talked about the violence of the game, I'll get to that a little later on. If you would ever spend 10 minutes field level, you would be yes. completely astounded. I mean, you have, yes. even looking at, at the game on TV, you have no idea of how fast that game is and how these huge bodies, I mean, you know, if if you look at it, the field, the dimensions, the dimensions of the football field haven't changed since. I'm just going to throw out a number, but I imagine they haven't changed since like the 20s. You know. Now, now you know what's interesting. Do you know where the term gridiron came from? Mm. In no. some of the early football fields, they actually did a grid on the field. Mm. So there were lines all over the field, and so it looked like a grid, and that's where gridiron came from. Huh. Uh, you, you, you thought you weren't going to learn anything. You heard. Listen, <laughs> when you listen to Bill Roden on sports, you learn something. <laughs> you know, and, and so, you, you, I mean, take it from that point, you know, the gridiron days. Well, look, the dimensions of the field haven't changed. Right. I mean, you know, but what has changed? What's changed is that, you know, back in 1932, if you were six feet two and 240, you were probably the biggest guy on the field. You are a giant. You're a giant. Now, here we are in, 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 in 2016. The, the dimensions of the field are the same, but you've got guys, a quarterback, who is 6'5", 245 pounds, and you've got linemen who are tra- running him down. You know, So to me, when you've got everything has changed except the, the, the everything has gotten bigger and faster, it's just you have no idea of the collisions and how – fast this game moves. I mean, you were talking about the officials trying to stay on top of it. It's impossible. Well, it was interesting. In the uh, in the game, we had a 61-yard punt return by mm-hmm. Kevin Norwood. Mm-hmm. He was tackled by number 97, Mario Addison, <laughs> who's a defensive lineman. <laughs> and, and he kind of ran him down. Right. 
So here we are. We've got a defensive end who's 6'5", 265 pounds, running down a six foot, 195-pound wide receiver. So you're talking about just that speed all over the field. You know, there are athletes now who are, who are playing who, yes, they would have dominated uh, 40 years ago. Right. But there are also those uh, athletes who, who could have transitioned. Could Gail Sayers play today? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you bet, you bet he could play today. Could Hugh McElhaney play yeah. today? Yeah, he could play today. Give, give you, give some you of your... these offensive linemen could have grown into their position the way that these guys are now. Impromptu, impromptu uh, uh, not quiz, but give me your five, just off the top of your, your five what I call generational football players, just off the top who could have played in any generation, any time, any place, anywhere. Uh, Dick Nitrain Lane. Oh, my God. And and so I'm trying to go back as far as I can so mm-hmm. I can kind of remember, guys. Um, you know, he, he, he's on my mind a lot. O.J. Simpson mm-hmm. could have played today and mm-hmm. would have been a great back. you got to remember, he was on the University of Southern California's 4x4 relay team. That's right. 4 by one relay team that set a world record. That's, so that's right. here's a good guy with world-class speed. McCullough was on the team too, right? Earl yes, McCullough. he was, Earl McCullough. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of... Jim Brown, probably. Yeah, Jim Brown. I, was, I, I didn't want to go with the obvious right, guy. Right, right. I'm, I'm trying to think of, of an offensive lineman. is uh, a guy who played, who was in my draft class, Mike Ken, mm. played for the Atlanta Falcons for a number of years, and he was probably a 275-pound left tackle. Mm. Now, you, you think of a 275-pound left tackle now as a sophomore in high school. <laughs> and think, boy, this kid's really going to grow into the position. So, <laughs> That's right. That's right. Those, those positions change. Um, Ronnie Lott, right. uh, safety, cornerback, you know, just a fantastic defensive back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's interesting. Jan Stenrud uh, was my teammate for a couple years with the Green Bay Packers, the first p- pure and only pure place kicker in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, converted 69% of his field goals. That wouldn't get him through training camp. <laughs> right. But but he told me this story, which, which kind of was kind of funny. He went to Hank Stram on uh, on Friday, mm-hmm. and he said, "Hank, uh, coach, I haven't and I, and I can't do his Norwegian accent." He said, "I haven't kicked any field goals all week long," and Hank goes, "That's what the game is for." <laughs> so we we look at his percentages, and I talked to him. He said he said he said my holder was Lenny Dawson. Our center was this long snapper, and they were practicing, so they were busy. Mm. And then after practice, you know, they had other things to do. Yes. They didn't want to stick around and, and work on the snap and the placement for 20 minutes. Said, Come on, that's, it's just a field goal. Mm. So those things have changed. And Jan Stenrud was a uh, world-class ski jumper. Mm. So I'm, pretty sure, right. I'm sure, pretty sure if he were kicking today and had the advantages of a long snapper, a holder that, that went over to the other field and worked on that for an hour and a half, He'd be in the ninety percent range. Hmm. All right, hey, AJ, just a couple of things before I uh, let you go. Like I said, we could talk for another day because you're you're just such a, uh, uh, a fascinating guy. Well, it's, it's always the interviewer, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you're absolutely right, James. <laughs> it, it does. <laughs> hey, but but just just one thing, Cam. Before we let him go, I mean, before we, how, how does he going forward? How does he live this? I don't say live this down because I don't think I don't think he has anything to live down, uh, and I, I don't think he played awful. I mean, people act like he played right. But I don't think he played awful. You know, but but going forward, if you were you know you know uh, 
and, and so that you are a mentor. We're all kind of mentors in, in that sense, particularly as men, and particularly African-American men. Sure. Because uh, you played the position when you were, you were in high school. You were a quarterback in high school uh, at a time when, you know, you were just going to get When you got switched. Yeah, I mean, because you were, you were safe. Your mistake was that you also played safety on defense. Yep. So that was, that was that was your mistake. <laughs> but but what do you going forward? Um, where, where does Cam go from here? You know, in the next few months leading up to next year. Well, as I kind of look at it, when you when you think of a regular season, mm-hmm. you have snapshots, mm-hmm. and you know you you kind of build a little collage with them and you put them all together. And, and Cam Newton had a, a fantastic. Uh, I'll use Donald Trump's word, a terrific <laughs> uh, uh, season, and, and did a lot of great things. But the movie that's out, which everybody sits down to watch, is the Super Bowl. <laughs> and so to, to come up short in a game that will be whittled down to about six minutes of highlights and that will endure forever, um, I think that's that, that's always tough because – I think once you play in this game, and they had the uh, all the MVPs from the game, starting with Bart Starr, all the way through um, last year's uh, MVP, you know, all paraded out. Some of them were on video. The magnitude of the game, the history of the game, are are Super Bowls, maybe Hall of Fame careers, mm-hmm. and, and just just a couple of highlights because you don't get. Um, you know, a 60-minute highlight show on, on what your career was like. Right. When, when you know, unfortunately somebody passes away on the news, if it's, if, as, and if it's a local guy, you know, it, it may be 45 seconds where they show a couple of clips here and there. So when you play in that Super Bowl, it's such a big chunk of what you do. Lynn Swan, you, you still remember him, that ball kind of falling into his hands mm-hmm. as he's uh, – Falling over the Dallas Cowboys defensive back, who, by, who by the way, drops down into his hands. Who, by the way, is one of my best friends, uh, Mark Washington. Yeah, uh, who's in that pick? He's one of my best friends. We played in high school together. We played at Morgan together. The same. Wow. Secondary. He was like always a couple years older than me, and one of my one of the great role models and influences in my life. And we talk about that moment all the time. I mean, every, you know, if you're Lynn, it, it, because it's frozen in time. Yeah. yeah. So, from this Super Bowl. Uh, Von Miller sacking and forcing a fumble is going to be frozen in time in terms of Cam Newton. And that's what you're going to see. And we may see the two-point conversion throw from Peyton Manning. Uh, We'll see him holding up the Lombardi trophy. And, uh, you know, that that will be this Super Bowl. It'll be Denver's defense, you know, beating up Cam Newton, one or two passes from uh, Peyton Manning. And, and that that's really going to be it. And he's going to, you know, and think the, the challenge, and that's, again, the great thing about sports, he, he will, I mean, although you can't unring the bell, to, to, what you can do is have a, mo- a moment that eclipses this moment. In other well, words, you know what I'm saying? You, you can, sure. If Cam leads his team to the Super Bowl next year, year after that, this will never, you can never erase this. But right. there could be a moment that, is equally as tremendous. Marv Levy was a, a great uh, historian, and he had a quote that he used to use, and I'm not sure exactly who said it, but Ron Rivera used it this past week. 
And he talked about, yes, I lie, bloodied and battered, but I still rise to fight another day. And, mm-hmm. I, and I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. And Marv used to say that. Ron Rivera said it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it takes a while for players to hear it and for it to sink in mm-hmm. and to look at it in the context of where they are. And so Cam, just like that person who was talking about in being in war, bloodied and battered, but yet he will rise to fight again another day. And he's, he's got to do that. that that's, that's the big challenge now because quarterbacks are measured by wins and losses and even more so by Super Bowl wins and losses. Mm. Peyton Manning going in was one and two. We thought, oh, if he goes one and three, <laughs> oh, that really drops him down in the list of all-time greats. Right. And when he went two and two, I heard somebody say, he's the greatest quarterback ever. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, we look at that game. And at mm. two and two, that looks a lot better than one and three. <laughs> right, right now, Cam Newton's own one, right. but, but he's played in the Super Bowl. So you gotta, you gotta look at that. Here's a guy who took his team to the Super Bowl that, that off of a seven, eight, and one team the year before. They were seventeen and one going into that game. Mm. Mm. So, so do, do, does he? Can he? Can he dance next year when he scores? Uh, can he? Can he dance and celebrate, or do you think he's got to tone that down? Uh, we all love Billy White Shoes Johnson, didn't we? <laughs> and maybe we love Billy White Shoes Johnson because he was undersized. Mm-hmm. Billy was probably, what, 5'9", right. 175 pounds. Mm-hmm. And he did that, uh, for lack of a better term, the funky chicken dance. Right. <laughs> and so w- we love that. I still think that in Carolina, they love what Cam Newton does. Mm-hmm. At, at a home game, when he comes out, and that energy, the smile, and all that. Isaiah Thompson, Isaiah Thomas w- was the same way with that electric smile. Right. Magic Johnson, the same way with that electric smile. They didn't win a championship every year. So, yes, he's battered and bruised, but he will rise again. And so when he rises, why not right. do the same thing? Right. You know, they say, act like you've been there before. This is what he does when he gets there. Exactly. Don't you're right because if you stop doing it, it's like if Ali would stop. You know, then somebody could if he stop doing Ali shuffle. Exactly. Well, I I got beat, so I'm not going to do Ali shuffle anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey, just just three things, man. Before I let you go, I want to talk to you about the pain of the game and and your most disappointing moment in the game. But I, 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 the last, you know, you were uh, you played at George Washington High School in L.A. Right, and you were you were a quarterback, and I'm just wondering that you were quarterback, in and I think like in, in like seventy in the seventies. Yeah. How do you, as a quarterback, I don't know how how you how you projected yourself, but when you looked at yourself as a quarterback, did you ever think that you would see what we've seen in the last ten years? You, you, whether it's Russell, or whether it's uh, uh, Cam Newton, Jameis Winston, it seems like you know Vic. It seems like this thing has finally we've hit the tipping point. Where well, the, 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 there's nothing wrong with being a, a good athlete and playing quarterback. Mm-hmm. Because a, as, you're, as you're going down that list, I would have said Ryan Tannehill. Mm-hmm. I would have said Andrew Luck. Yeah. Yeah. I would have said Blake Bortles. Mm-hmm. We are not drafting guys who are not good athletes. Mm-hmm. The, the exception now is when a guy comes into the league and he's just a pocket passer. Right. Because in what conference in college football do you play in where you don't have to run if mm-hmm. you're a quarterback. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's more the norm than the exception. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But you when, think- we, when, when we go to a high school football game on Friday, mm-hmm. we're seeing these kids. Mm-hmm. We see them in the, all the major conferences. Right. We see them in the national championship games. Mm-hmm. So, yes, they're going to they're gonna filter into the pros, and offenses are going to change a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because of them. Yeah, I, I guess the thing that's sort of this, and, and again, I think you have to live your life looking ahead, not looking backward, particularly if you're, if you're black in this country. You, you have to look forward. You can't look back. But I just think of all the, all the people, you know, who were, who want, like Marlon Briscoe and all the people who, right. who you know, could, we could have done this 20 years ago. Well, I, I sat in the, uh, in the stands with my dad at a Los Angeles Rams game in 1973, and mm-hmm. I was a senior in high school, mm-hmm. and playing quarterback. And for the Rams, they had James Harris, yeah. James Shaq Harris, yeah. and the Polish rifle, Ron Jaworski. Right. And I remember watching those two guys, and it, it never dawned on me that within four or five years, I would be one of their contemporaries, playing mm-hmm. in the National Football League just like they were. Mm-hmm. I was a high school quarterback. I got recruited to L.A. City Junior College, mm-hmm. which at the time was one of the top junior college teams in the nation. Mm-hmm. Vince Evans, mm-hmm. who played, played for the Chicago Bears yeah. and who played at USC, was their quarterback. Mm-hmm. I was going to replace him. Warren Moon is also a senior right. in high school, wow. and he's being recruited to West Los Angeles Junior College. Mm-hmm. So here we were, two of the top quarterbacks, getting recruited to the top junior colleges in Los Angeles. Now, I ended up getting a football-slash-track scholarship to Stanford. Mm-hmm. But if I hadn't been, you know, the state champion in the long jump, that might have been my option if I wanted to continue to play quarterback going to uh, L.A. City. And now that I think about it, I, I probably would have passed for 80,000 yards. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, the last thing, and again, man, I, I, you, you got to come back because we could just go on and on and on. Uh, uh, I, I mean, the the, the 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 central issue now is the pain of the game, and you know, right. going everything from football should be eliminated to um, what to do. And I guess I'm, you know, I, I played, you know, ever since Pop Warner and in high school. I went to Morgan, so I played through Morgan, and um, I, I I like the game. I mean, I I understand. No, the reality, I think, but where, where are I you in all like this? Me, you love the game. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, well. I don't know how many things I love, but I really like the game. You know, passionate. Um, yeah, I like I like the game. I guess, and what I resist, I, I guess here's why I fall on this. I mean, I have a lot of friends, man. I mean, Willie Lanier went to Morgan. Right. There, there's so many guys went to well, Morgan. Willie and, Lanier, who every time I'm around, I just try and listen to him. It just smart guy. So, so I guess the question becomes: Sometimes I think in in the media, and particularly sometimes, you know, where I'm at I'm at the New York Times, and sometimes the people. There's a, we wage these campaigns to get rid of the sport. And just politically, when I look around, number one, I, like I said, I like the game a lot. I think it's a game of skill and all this stuff. But also, I, I see opportunities, particularly young black men, shrinking, not expanding. And there are two areas where we really are dominant. I mean, I, I know a lot of guys on Wall Street and all that, but, you know, the NBA and the NFL, and just historically, Historically, going back to black jockeys, you know, whenever right. whenever black people tend to dominate something, there's almost there's almost a reflective, knee jerk, almost subconscious reaction of the mainstream to like eliminate it. It just you know, <laughs> to it, I mean, it's not sure. even knowing. Just, yeah, it happened to the jockeys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's exactly what happened. You know, and I think the same thing. You see, the NFL is now 
we've gone from 1944 where you, where we couldn't play to like now we're like 80 percent of 70 percent of the league or 60 percent of the league NBA from 19 you know 48 when we couldn't play to like now we're 80 percent of the league and all of a sudden there's all this concern about the, you know how do we make the game about so I, I before I kind of start throwing the baby out with the bat I I think I look at things politically and right. say, you know so so that's one thing but I just want to ask you as somebody who's played the game you had kids who who probably played the game what's your what's your position on where the game is in terms of physicality in terms of the, 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 you know what can be done can anything be done both both my sons played um, college football mm. the oldest one played a little bit in the Canadian Football League and mm. in the UFL mm. the oldest one did not play in pads until he was a freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. So he just played, you know, flag football or whatever. The younger son, who was three years younger, the plan was for him to also not play uh, until he was uh, in pads. Well, we were we happened to be living in Texas at the time. <laughs> yeah. And I had coached him a couple mm-hmm. years in um, flag football. And we won a championship when they were in the third grade and then the fourth grade. Mm-hmm. And then we beat the same team in the championships in the Dallas area two years in a row and I was out of town and somehow the coach from the team that we had beaten called my house and asked my wife if I was interested in uh, merging our two teams and making a Pop Warner team. Hmm. And so my rule had been, well, he'll play when he gets to the uh, ninth grade. Well, we did that with my older son because when we were living in Buffalo in California, there, there weren't any, there weren't a lot of uh, Pop Warner teams that he could play for, and there was no middle school that he could play for. My younger son, they had a sixth-grade team and a seventh-grade team at his middle school. They had 110 kids on both teams. They split the teams, so the middle school had two football teams in the sixth grade, two football teams in the seventh grade. That's how uh, intense the football was in Texas. Mm. Uh, and that would be hard to take away from people. But but my rule as a parent, I would say ninth grade is, is early enough for almost every player to play. Um, I can't remember who I was interviewing, but I had him on the show, two players who were playing in the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. one who played uh, – no, I take this back. I'm interviewing Hall of Famers mm-hmm. afterwards. Mm-hmm. And uh, one that? who started playing as a senior in high school, the other one started playing in the 11th grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those stories are not unique. So everybody doesn't have to start playing Pop Warner football in the third grade. But <laughs> right. Dermonte Dawson started as a senior and then, no, as a junior, and Kellen Winslow played his senior year mm. of football. So, you know, short careers as t- in terms of, you know, because they were all, oh, well, you got to teach them how to play. You got to teach them this. You don't have to do it that early. But right. people do. And if they're going to do it, they need to be coached properly on how to hit and all that. But it's a game where you're running into each other, uh, just like boxing. Mm-hmm. You can't expect to get in the ring and not get hit. Well, hockey too. I mean, just, yeah, you know, hockey too. Yeah. And even even soccer. And soccer the, the, the collisions that happen on a on a soccer field. So if you're going to play sports, you're going to get bounced around a bit. And, and I was looking into mountain climbing. I mean, you know, with the people who do the Alps and all that. And oh you, yeah. If you look at the number of of, of deaths per year. And, you know, how many people get wiped out yep. doing this stuff. I mean, in other words, if you step outside of staying in your house, if you embark on stuff, stuff's going to happen. 
you know, and I guess that's what life is about. And how well, do, you, know. you you travel a lot just like I do, mm-hmm. and occasionally we'll get on a plane that will have a, a you know movies that you can see in the little seat in front of you. Mm-hmm. And the other day I'm flying and I'm watching the movie Everest, oh, yeah. and so these people are trying to scale Mount Everest. And as we're coming in for our landing, the the plane's a little bumpy. You know, the pilot said it's going to be a little bumpy, so it's starting to, to shake. And at that same time, the people are falling off the mountain. Mm. And it's like I have this surround sound <laughs> feeling. Here, the plane is starting to rock back and forth, and these people are falling off the mountain. So you're right. There's there's nothing smooth out there if, if you're really trying to go for some adventure. Yeah. Uh, so well, you, you want it to be safer. You want kids aware of it. But I think what's going to happen in the NFL – like Calvin Johnson is talking about retiring right around age 30, I think we're going to see more and more players who are successful players early out Mm. where they're going to play. Their rookie contract is going to take them to year four. Their big money contract is going to take them to year eight. And then they're going to say, gee, I've made $75, $125 million. I'm ready to step away Mm -hmm. and do something else. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we never get upset when that player who we call a bust gets cut after his third year in the league, nobody goes, oh, they should let him continue to play. Mm-hmm. But when Calvin Johnson says, I'm thinking about retiring, oh, he should play. He needs <laughs> to do this. Right. No, let him make his own decisions. And I think guys are going to make more early out decisions as uh, as this game continues. That's a great point. My guest has been the great James Lofton. Uh, I took great off the front of my name a long time ago. Yeah, well, I'm putting it back. Uh, uh, broadcaster, Hall of Fame member, uh, coach, great guy all around. Uh, before I let you go, just just two things: the the the, um, the greatest greatest moment in your your athletic career, and maybe the the, the most disappointing moment. Uh, a lot of the losses were disappointing, so it's it's hard to pinpoint one of those. But the the best moment. I'm playing for the Buffalo Bills. We're playing against the New York Jets. Uh, it's probably week 14. If we win the game, uh, we're going to get home field advantage. We're going to do a bunch of things. And, and, you know, I've never been down this road before. And we're down in the fourth quarter. And on fourth down, we decide to go for it. And I catch a slant for about 56 yards. And I take us down to about the 30-yard line. And a couple plays later, I scored a game-winning touchdown, and, and I had never really kept a ball to, to keep a ball to think, oh, this is the important ball. Well, my son, David, who I've talked about a little bit, he and Pete Metzlars and Jim Richards' son, mm-hmm. all these kids are about eight, nine years old. Normally, they sat with our wives up in row 47. I had noticed at this game that they were like down in row two, the three of them. And they were right behind the Buffalo Bills bench. And they're down so low where, as kids, they probably can't see the field, but they can see their dads on the sideline and all that. So I catch this ball for a touchdown. And my teammates are running at me, and I just take that ball, and I run through the end zone. I run back behind our bench, and I hand it to my son David. Mm. And I'm thinking, I'm giving him this ball, and this ball is going to go to our house, and it's going to be on the trophy case. And this ball is special. Mm. Now, as I mentioned, this is week 14. So it's cold and wet and snowy in Buffalo. So after the game, you know, I'm being interviewed because I'm the hero of the game. I come out. My wife is with our younger son, Daniel, who's about five years old. And I said, well, where's David? 
Oh, he's out in the parking lot with the other ball, with the other guys, uh, other kids. We go out in the parking lot. Here, this trophy ball <laughs> is scuffed up, <laughs> dirty, muddy. And for me, here's a ball that I was going to take and, and cherish as a trophy. But my son is just playing with it because it's a ball that his dad played with in the game. Mm. And to me, that was a bigger deal than having it, having it be about me because he's getting to enjoy it. So mm. you're talking about greatest moments, watching those kids kick that ball around in the, in the mud. That's great. That's great. Hey, Jay, listen, man, thank you. Thank you so much, man. This has well, really, really been truly wonderful. And uh, I, I want to have you back and, and uh, you know, talk more. There's just so many things to talk about, but this has really, really, really been wonderful, and I, I just thank you so much for uh, for joining me. Well, let's not wait till Super Bowl 75. Oh, <laughs> do it after this summer. <laughs> hey, thanks so much, man. Deep, deeply appreciate it. Have a, have a wonderful off-season, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.